Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com What's up, everyone? It is 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for tuning in for our Sunday edition of Cannabis Legalization News. Today, we're joined by Patrick Nightingale out of Pennsylvania. We're going to get into Pennsylvania's cannabis laws and legislature. So let's just get right into it. What's going on, everyone? Hey. Hi, Lauren. Hey. Hi, Miggy. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great. Uh, you know, I just wanted to start off with Miggy doing that. Uh, he stopped on yesterday and he did a piece about uh, the Black Lives Matter and also uh, its relation to the drug war. Um, and I thought it was really, really good. But then I was just worried while he was doing it. Uh, that, oh, boy, this is going to get taken down Easily. because of how Donald Trump came. And he said that, you know, he's going to strip away Twitter's rights to be able to fact check him. So I'm always worried that, you know, our are we going to get somewhat censored uh, by uh, those types of executive orders? But then also uh, what Miggy was talking about was it was, you know, emotional. And so because of that, I'm like, well, is that going to violate terms of service? Uh, I tried to put disclaimers and, and warnings and prophylactics on the actual thing. And I thought what Miggy was talking about is like really legitimate. So, you know, Miggy, that was a pretty powerful little piece that you did on the, uh, the drug war and how it's uh, systematic racism. Thank you, man. Just don't want to die. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you do look menacing with the uh, the black mask on. But, you know, if you could show everybody your, your normal face or your, your, your new face. Well, I don't want to show them the three chins, but. You don't want to show them the three chins? Look at that. Look how young you look after you've shaved. It's amazing, though. Like, the beard just covers so much, and I look like an adult. So, uh, yeah, we're going to go with this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but really, Patrick, thanks for joining us. Being a federal freaking attorney is going to be great to ask you some questions, especially, like, with the social media thing. Uh you know, we've had the cannabis shadow ban for, God, a couple of years at least now. Oh, we got caught in 2013-14. Uh, so, like, that was after I had written, 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 always used the best English. Uh, so I'd written that book uh, in 2010, and that's when I found you, Miggy, uh, back in MySpace days. And then we, I made you an admin on uh, our Facebook page. It's down there. You can find it uh, at FreeTHC on Facebook. You have to go to Facebook.com backslash FreeTHC because of the shadow ban. But um, you started sharing some pretty dank memes in 2013, and then it started to go viral and blow up until it was caught. And then it's still the 15th largest uh, cannabis page on Facebook. It's just that oh. you can't you can't promote cannabis on the Internet. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, you, you type in the words marijuana in the search engine and amazingly, no one has posted anything about marijuana, cannabis or weed and ever. 
Yeah, isn't that hilarious? <laughs> what are your thoughts on that, Patrick, as far as the new Trump decree? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, what concerns me is that we're kind of in a wild uh, west right now with a president and a significant uh, you know, core base of followers that will accept, oh, maybe it's necessary right now to, you know, scale back some First Amendment protections because, you know, we're being told that, you know, our voices aren't being adequately represented in, you know, companies that are privately owned and not, you know, government uh, run or regulated. I think it's, uh, it's, it's chilling the way that in difficult times and in times of, uh, uh, of anxiety and you know, emergency like we're dealing with right now during the pandemic, or like we dealt with after uh, uh, the tragedy of 9-11, how uh, willing people are to accept fundamental intrusions on their basic uh, you know, civil liberties, uh, fundamental intrusions or restrictions on, on the Bill of Rights. And I don't want to see us in a situation where because of partisan politics or because of just overall you know, concern and anxiety where people are willing to say, okay, you know, I can understand the need to surrender some of my First Amendment uh, uh, protections, some of my First Amendment rights, because we are in difficult times right now. You know, I'm confident that organizations like the ACLU will stand strong and tall and, you know, and fight this in the courts. Um, I am hopeful that the Supreme Court uh, is not infused with partisan partisanship, uh, at least on uh, First Amendment issues, where whereas it might be on, uh, you know, right to privacy issues. And I'm hopeful that you know, if uh, the president persists on attempting to restrict free speech uh, via social media, that uh, litigation will ensue and that firm Supreme Court precedents uh, will come out and say, no, you, have, you cannot do this. It is a violation of the First Amendment. That would be fantastic. But then it goes back to like, you know, the unconstitutionality of the cannabis laws. You can have bad law on the books for decades. So uh, what is your practice area in Pennsylvania? Yeah, I'm primarily a criminal defense attorney. I'm a former prosecutor. I was with the Allegheny County District Attorney's Office from 1996 to 2002. I was a founder of our domestic violence prosecution unit. And since uh, entering private practice, uh, I've been able to add my voice to cannabis legalization, to cannabis reform here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, I also have a separate practice, uh, Cannabis Legal Solutions, where myself and my partners are offering uh, uh, business business legal services and other legal services for Pennsylvania's emerging cannabis industry. But, you know, as we'll talk about, I'm sure a little bit further on in in our uh, uh, discussion today, in terms of a growing industry, Pennsylvania is still very, very small because we are limited to a very small uh, number of players in our medical marijuana um, uh, marketplace. We've got a limited number of licenses. There are a limited number of license holders. So we haven't really seen our cannabis industry fully blossom, fully grow, fully flower. Sorry for the pun, but... uh, (laughs) It is the cannabis industry, but that sounds very similar to Illinois' structure of the medical laws. So there wasn't a lot of movement at all in Illinois until 2019 after they took, oh, one year ago today, the Illinois legislature voted to legalize cannabis. And so uh, that that really changed the game. And so um, when they start the, the medical states, they usually start fairly small. And then there's not a lot of movement in the players afterwards. 
Uh, why don't you bring us up to speed on the distinctions of the medical game and the licensings that is available in Pennsylvania's uh, medical? Uh, do they call it medical marijuana or do they call it medical cannabis? It, it's a, our medical marijuana law. Uh, in fact, uh, one of our adult, uh, full adult use legalization laws would change it from marijuana to cannabis. Uh, but that bill was introduced, and because it purported to amend our medical cannabis or our medical marijuana law, it got stuck in our health committee run by basically a uh, Harry Anslinger acolyte who said that she voted against medical marijuana on religious grounds. So, oh, good. You know, that's what you want for your public servants. You want Jesus. It's like, hey, uh, First Amendment right, you know, separation of church and state. No, no, no. Indoctrination of church and state. One nation under God. Remember that. Well, here in Pennsylvania, uh, marijuana cannabis remains uh, Schedule One under Pennsylvania law. Uh, possession of up to 30 grams is a misdemeanor offense, but it's called possession of a small amount of marijuana and is the least serious uh, misdemeanor offense in Pennsylvania's crimes code. Uh, cultivating you know, one plant is a felony in Pennsylvania, but fortunately, we no longer have mandatory minimum uh, sentences for plant count or for weight. And under Pennsylvania's sentencing guidelines, uh, marijuana is not uh, uh, graded nearly as heavy as uh, more uh, other Schedule One controlled substances, such as heroin, or even Schedule Two, such as uh, cocaine and methamphetamine. Uh, we do have a medical marijuana law, which consists. It was passed in uh, 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 in 2016, signed by uh, our governor, Governor Wolf, on April 16th of 2016. The very first medical cannabis products that were available in Pennsylvania were available on February fifteenth uh, of twenty eighteen, and I'm proud to say I was the very first medical patient in Pennsylvania to purchase a medical marijuana product. Nice. Yay! What so, type of product? Do they have a flower ban? No. Uh, when the law was first passed, uh, the law prohibited smoking, and it limited uh, medical marijuana products to oils, pills, tinctures, topicals or the, a form that could be vaporized or nebulized. And the uh, Republican who was you know, championing the bill took me aside in Harrisburg uh, and said, listen, we left a back door. This is a back door to allowing the Department of Health to authorize or uh, permit flower. Mm. And the first time that the uh, advisory board was presented with the opportunity, they did that. Nice. So we were only non-flower for about six months. And I think Anecdotally speaking, flour probably makes up about 50% of our medical uh, cannabis sales. Um, nice. You know, our program, you know, one of the unfortunate things about our program is the products are extremely expensive, uh, probably twice the black market, if not a little more so. And How much is an eighth? Uh, 65 to 80 depending yeah. on the quality. 65 yeah. for cookie cut here in Illinois, but then you can get an eighth for 49 Miggy, what's the cheapest taste you can get uh, over in Seattle? Well, I found them for like twenty, but they're garbage. Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's like a loss leader. You know, that's why you like light up greenhouses. They're like, all right, this is your twenty five dollar a bag eighth. Yeah, and it's like a bag of nugget or popcorn shit or whatever shake. You know, it's nothing quality. Yeah. We we still pay sixty five dollar eighths though. I mean, that's the high end stuff. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool that the uh, market is somewhat solidifying because, uh, you know, we're talking three different states and uh, ballpark kind of the same number. Yeah, that that's interesting to hear that that's uh, the numbers coming out of Seattle, because, you know, our program here in Pennsylvania, we've, we've it's not quite a monopoly, but it's a very, very small, you know, near monopoly uh, marketplace. How many numbers the licenses? 
25 grower processor licenses. Oh, Those geez. are integrated. So if you're cultivating your processing and uh, 50 dispensary licenses, each license holder can open up to three storefronts. And oh, wow. separate from that, we have a clinical research program where eight hospitals or eight uh, uh, university medical programs can partner with a vertically integrated license holder. Uh, and those vertically integrated license holders, I believe, can have up to six dispensaries per license. So there's a potential for an additional uh, eight cultivation and processing facilities and uh, an additional 48 uh, dispensaries, but those would be tied into the research program with the research hospitals or universities. Wow. And, and, you know, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just say I was going to ask you as a criminal because you're involved in the criminal side of things, as defending, and you're in a medical state. Do you find a lot of people still being prosecuted for cannabis type stuff in Pennsylvania? Yes. Uh, what you in Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh and outside of Philadelphia, we typically have smaller communities, maybe not rural or farming communities, but certainly not. Uh, big cities, certainly not places where police have better things to do. And uh, even with decriminalization in Philadelphia, which affects, you know, close to 4,000 Philadelphians annually, we yeah. still have close to 20,000 Pennsylvanians being prosecuted for possession of a small amount. And if you're not in Pittsburgh, if you're not in Philadelphia, you're probably, you know, facing a conviction uh, or being forced to use an alternative uh, uh, disposition. And one of the things that uh, small counties around here really like to do is jam you on paraphernalia because that baggie that your weed is in uh, can get you up to 12 months of probation supervision. That means there's money flowing into those probation departments. That means those probation officers have the ability to violate you. That means those judges have the ability to incarcerate you. Um, I recently consulted with a medical cannabis patient in a uh, county where the judge does not permit medical cannabis use. And this poor guy went to jail for five months on a probation violation for Jesus a for something that the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania allows him to do. See, well, the, the reason why I asked and, and, and make it more depressing because I'm the depressing guy. Um, as we were talking, to, think, you know, get ready to talk to Patrick in Pennsylvania and then all the shit that's been happening with, uh, uh, you know, since George Floyd's death and the, the, the last uh, stream I, I did for you guys. This is frustrating because in, in the medical states, they're still prosecuting what's inevitably, inevitably is going to be recreational. If, if law enforcement and everybody else can just get on the same, you know, uh, you know, same eye level, we would have less incidents like with the George Floyds or, you know, people being shot, period. Yeah, but you, you always hear the one of the biggest impediments to legalization is law enforcement because it's how they make their money. Yeah. And not only that, you know, it was one of the pieces that you'd went on yesterday when the guy was stepping on his neck and you said, you know, you, you got the article that mentioned that another one of the officers loitering while that guy was doing that said, don't do drugs, kids. What the fuck's that shit? It's the free medication. Yeah, don't do drugs, kids. But that's what you always hear this because we do this show all the time. And so it's just a common refrain that you have to have it be illegal so that we can search them to find something else. that's a, a, a worse crime. And, and they just don't get that uh, it's causing these types of problems. And then that's one of the things with, with Illinois, how they have structured their adult use cannabis to focus on these communities that were most disproportionately impacted and to force you 
force you to partner with them to be able to be in competition uh, or contention to win one of these competitive licenses. If you don't have social equity in Illinois, you're not going to win an adult use license. And so if other states, Minnesota, for example, they have a bill, that bill needs to be reworked to address these social equity concerns. I'm not sure if Pennsylvania's uh, adult use bills that have been proposed, what type of stripe or variety they have of social equity. But with the way that Illinois has done it, they require it to get points so that they inject it into the actual the competitive application scoring process. You're not going to win unless you have it. But then also they have this R3 collective, restore, reinvest, reinvigorate, something like that with the three R's. And they look at all these disproportionately impacted areas and they see how they can put money back into them so that they can fix the problems of this drug war. And they've been the, the problems of the drug war have been inter, you know, just so linked to um, systematic racism over the, the, the decades. I mean, that's yeah. like literally where the stuff came from. I mean, and then Miggy and I were talking to a guy from South Africa. Same thing happened there in the 20s. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, we're fortunate, you know, in Pennsylvania, the authors of um, uh, one of the House of uh, Adult Use Bills and the Senate uh, Adult Use Bill, you know, uh, uh, Black legislators from Pittsburgh and from Philadelphia who are very aware of the harm of the war on drugs, who are very aware of the impact that it has had on their communities. And those type of uh, social equity you know, components are part of the legislation. Um, you know, how that survives, if we can actually get into a hearing and start going through the, uh, the process in Harrisburg with the, the uh, Republican majority, we'll see how it all plays out. But I do know that our bill sponsors are very, very uh, passionate about social equity, about restorative justice, uh, and about making sure that all Pennsylvanians have a chance to take advantage of this if we're able to bring this to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of things that I wanted to follow up on, Miggy, that you were talking about, you know, it, Pittsburgh passed a decriminalization ordinance. It's not very widely used, but some of our officers understand that, you know, heavy-handed, you know, cannabis enforcement has really contributed to some of the breakdown in uh, community relations, uh, especially in, you know, some of our black communities. And though we haven't seen the decriminalization bill widely used, when I tracked the numbers, I saw that it was very, that where it was being used was in uh, communities uh, where uh, where we had uh, uh, you know, lower income black communities. You know, 200 times it had been used primarily in, uh, in neighborhoods where otherwise marijuana prohibition uh, was used as that weapon in order to, to get the search, in order to you know, get inside the car, in order to search the kids, see if there's a firearm, see if there's a brick of heroin, see if anyone has warrants and that type of thing. So slowly but surely, uh, I believe that our police department is trying to you know, retrain their officers a little bit to say, listen, if you don't have to do it, here's an option so that you know, you're not dragging someone into the criminal justice system unnecessarily. Exactly. I, mm-hmm. It's the reason why I've been doing this whole thing is just, I just don't want to get shot. I don't want to be treated as a, a, an evil person in the wrong state as an American. This is just nonsense. You know, I mean, I don't like being labeled by Jeff Sessions as a bad person in like 2018. I mean, it's not like this is 30 years ago, 50 years ago, but I mean, like they still perpetuate this same with Mike Crapo in the Senate. Uh, Crapo is how it's actually pronounced. He's the (laughs) one who, um, uh, he, he stymied uh, the, the safe banking act, uh, back in September. And so I'm not sure if we're going to have another, um, SARS to 
you know, COVID uh, stimulus bill or what. But the most recent incantation of the one that the Democratic uh, Congress put forward and it passed is now in the House and it does include the Safe Banking Act. Mm -hmm. But I just don't know if it's going to get out. Yeah, I don't. I, I personally don't see that uh, getting through the Senate. Uh, but yeah. here we are. Well, I want to focus on uh, the future for Pennsylvania. Let's talk all about how we can get a dispensary license in Pennsylvania in the not too distant future. Patrick, are you pretty familiar with the bills that are floating on around in the uh, Pennsylvania legislature? Yes, I am. You know, right now, the Pennsylvania medical marijuana market is closed. Uh, all 50 uh, licenses have been awarded. All 25 uh, grower processor licenses have been awarded, but one has been revoked. That's the subject of litigation right now. And what I read from uh, the Department of Health is that that license will be made available in a phase three application process. Um, the two bills that I like, uh, we've got two competing bills. Here in Pennsylvania, we have a system, a state store system of uh, 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 distributing alcoholic beverages. Mm -hmm. If you want to, to purchase liquor, if you want to purchase wine, you're going through a, a state store. And Republicans in Pennsylvania have long wanted to privatize our state store system. So some are talking about a grand bargain where we privatize the state store system, but then the state takes over distribution of uh, retail cannabis. Essentially, the state becomes the dispensary. I personally don't care for that. I don't, I don't think the state store system works very well. And I certainly don't want you know, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania now you know, setting the, the prices for my cannabis. Um, yeah. The other bills, uh, House Bill 2050 and Senate Bill 350, would not utilize the state store system. Senate Bill 350 would provide an unlimited number of licenses, you know, let the market decide. But what Senate Bill 350 also does is it would provide for tiered licenses so that small farmers, small businesses would not get squeezed out by, you know, the likes of, I mean, you're from Chicago, Cresco Labs. Um, my wife is, you know, the community outreach coordinator for Cresco uh, here in, in Pittsburgh. So, you know, I understand that it is a major corporate cannabis uh, entity. And if it could, it would be happy to dominate the marketplace. Oh, yeah. uh, and our bill sponsors understand that. They know that. They know that, you know, Cresco and Harvest and whomever have a role to play in large scale cannabis uh, uh, cultivation. Um, but they also know that, you know, the medical system you know, kind of cut out, you know, small businesses. They cut so, out the small Pennsylvania farmer. And that's being uh, something that is a key component in Senate Bill 350 and House Bill 2050. Awesome. Right. So with uh, these bills that are in Pennsylvania for the adult use cannabis, uh, for the dispensary license, do they have any restrictions on the number of dispensary licenses that will be awarded? Or like the number that I can have, can I get like 100 dispensary licenses? Or how is that uh, setting up? Under Senate Bill 350, there's no re restriction to the number of licenses that would be available, but the bill doesn't specifically speak to uh, whether or not a large uh, corporate cannabis entity would be restricted specifically on the number of licenses. I am quite sure that that would be language uh, coming forward. In House Bill 2050, it artificially caps the number of licenses available at 300. And I think that that was just a placeholder as you know that bill would be further developed if it was able to go through the committee hearing process. But both uh, prime sponsors are aware that you know they don't want to simply create a monopoly for large cannabis, but you know uh, put a system in place that benefits all Pennsylvanians 
and to you know make sure that hey you know we've got 12.5 million people in Pennsylvania perhaps up to 2 million uh, adult use consumers so you know we've got to be able to supply that demand as well Oh, yeah. Well, since we're going to talk about supply and demand, then we can switch the the conversation from the retail side to, all right, let's talk about the different types of marijuana grow licenses that are available under uh, SB 350. Uh, so you mentioned that the uh, the legislative bill uh, striates the number of or in tiers, the number of or the size of the cultivation facilities. So I know that they start with a micro grower. What's a micro grower facility under SB 350? A hundred plants or less. Yeah, that is a micro grow. And then mm-hmm. they have restrictions on how they can grow those hundred plants? Now, not in the bill itself. It doesn't go into that level of, uh, of, of regulatory detail. What are the requirements, Patrick? And, and I'm always curious for each state for licenses, do you have to be a state resident? In Pennsylvania, you do not. There is a, there was no uh, uh, residency restriction whatsoever. Um, I was actually on a team that made application for licenses in West Virginia and West Virginia had a residency uh, requirement and then that got struck down by West Virginia Supreme Court. So, you know, we have no residency restrictions. However, what I'm hoping is that, you know, as these bills uh, uh, move forward and as we have a realistic uh, discussion, let's have some incentives built in that will benefit Pennsylvanians, that will benefit those with Pennsylvania partners. What we saw with our medical licensing is that there were a lot of out-of-state entities, you know, Cresco, for example, Harvest, uh, Moxie, and others that, you know, had local Pennsylvania partners, but they didn't have to have local Pennsylvania partners if they didn't want to. It's just in a state like Pennsylvania, it made a lot of sense to have, you know, someone who is from the community, who is able to work with the local politicians, you know, understood the the real estate, understood the Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania's geography to partner with these companies. Hmm. Yep. We always say all cannabis is local. And so it's really important because those outer state, um, you know, operators may have some some real smarts and acumen in the industry. But if they don't have those local partners, I just don't think that they're going to be looked as friendly or, uh, or as well upon. Uh, for the other types of cannabis cultivation licenses in Pennsylvania, uh, after the micro grower, how what's the next level up? I believe it goes uh, 100 to either 500 or 1,000, and then perhaps 5,000 is a cap for the tiered licenses. And I think that uh, uh, we're talking about capping um, uh, you know, larger commercial grows at 100,000 square feet of uh, canopy space. Well, that's, that's, that's heads or tails. I mean, that, that's something that I always talk about in these types of canopy trade-off things, because uh, what is the canopy space defined as? Does that include my clones? Does that include my mother's? Does that include my bedroom? Or is, is the canopy space only the flowering canopy space? Yeah. Uh, and then the other one, it, well, go ahead. Let's see if you know the answer to that one then. Right now, I think that when it comes to the medical side of it, uh, we don't have canopy uh, space restrictions. Uh, the Department of Health has said, you know, to alleviate uh, uh, product shortages or to try to bring prices down, expand your facilities. And, you know, Cresco is now up to 88,000 square feet. And I believe that what they consider canopy space is actual plants uh, that are under lights and flowering mm-hmm. and would not include the clone or the mothering room. Yeah, that's what we that's how we define it in Illinois, specifically for our craft grower license. But that's a 5000 uh, square foot canopy space. So if you divide that by four, every plant has four square foot of can of, of space. You got like twelve hundred and fifty plants. 
And that's our smallest license. And that's still a really big license considering that the micro grower license in uh, Pennsylvania's uh, uh, SB 350 bill is only 50 plants. 100 plants. 100 plants. All right. So that 100 plants is going to be easy for you to tend. However, the um, the sales of it and then you're going to very quickly outgrow it. And so what is the um, the going rate at the medical uh, dispensaries for a wholesale pound of cannabis flour in, in Pennsylvania? Yeah, we're not permitted to sell uh, wholesale. Uh, the products all have to be packaged by the processor into individual retail sale units. So Ooh. when so how does that how does that so like, you know, it leaves Cresco and it goes to Cresco's dispensary rise or wait, that's that's not there's a sunny side rise is GTIs mm -hmm. either way. So uh, how does that booked for accounting purposes? Uh, it, these are completely separate entities. Cresco's cultivation entity or license is separate from its um, uh, from its dispensary license, and the Department of Health uh, monitors uh, wholesale prices and will not permit Cresco to favor itself. Uh, so the wholesale prices, I guess, because we have such a limited number, we've got 22 of 25 uh, cultivation processing facilities online right now. But they have basically all agreed amongst themselves what their wholesale prices are going to be. Yeah. And, you know, that results in okay. fairly consistent dispensary uh, uh, prices across the board. Not very consumer friendly, but that's what we're dealing with in Pennsylvania because our legislature wanted a very closed, uh, closed marketplace. It's about but, control. It's that cartel aspect. It was the same way in Illinois. They want that controlled marketplace where they can track every penny and you can gouge the patients. Yep. And that's what we're seeing here. But. At the very least, you know, a Cresco product is going to be the same price at their dispensary as it's going to be at a Rise dispensary, as it's going to be at Terra Vida, as it's going to be at the Healing Center or Salivo or Maitri or wherever. And then if that individual dispensary wants to, you know, offer incentives or sales, then it's up to their bottom line. But they're all getting it for the same wholesale price. Right. So they don't regulate uh, here in Washington. They have the weirdest rules like uh, they did a food drive. And there was a, a, a pot shop giving away discounts for bringing in canned goods. And our regulating body said, nope, you can't do that. You're a bad boy for doing that. I mean, do they do stuff like that there? Or is it just yeah, it, oh. it is it is very tightly regulated. So any any um, uh, sales or anything like that has to uh, be run through the Department of Health to get approval. If the license holder wants to attend a you know a table at a hemp fest or at a community uh, uh, program or at a uh, county fair or anything like that, that has to uh, get Department of Health approval. If they want to advertise on the radio or advertise on billboards, that requires Department of Health approval. Um, everything. The one exception is that, you know, a couple of our uh, license holders, uh, dispensaries have set up separate educational centers as a separate storefront, as a separate entity that doesn't uh, require all the security and everything like that. So the educational center can sell t-shirts and can sell hats and can host events and can bring the public in, but you can't go into the dispensary unless you're actually a patient. And the dispensary cannot so much as give you a free t-shirt, but you can go next door to the educational center and that's a little bit of a workaround. That's... But not a lot of our dispensaries want to incur the cost of having two separate uh, retail spaces. So well, it's, it, there's um, the IRC 280E. That's actually one of the reasons why they set it up in that fashion because hmm. I can't deduct the cost of advertising my cannabis product. But if I have an educational company that's selling my brand and I have a license agreement or something like that to sell all the, the accoutrement, 
sorry about that big French word, uh, <laughs> about uh, all of the stuff and, you know, come down to the, the Cannabis Learning Center and I can advertise that and it's not subject to IRC 280E, that's an expense. And then maybe I'd have like a management contract or something between them or just overlapping ownership. So sure, you're spending that money here, but it's better than it's uh, being spent by that one because then you'd be paying, you know, twice the tax on it. Mm. Makes sense. That's not bad. Uh, let's talk about in the cannabis uh, dispensary. I thought we already just said that the cannabis uh, cultivation law in Pennsylvania that's being proposed. Are there license caps? Like, can I just get all the licenses, or will I only allow be allowed to have like one license, or or how does that work? I believe it's going to be uh, uh, similar to uh, our medical marijuana, where an entity can only apply for up to uh, five dispensary licenses, for example. Um, I think that it, a total of five licenses could be applied for by any individual entity under the medical. Um, I can't specifically say whether or not SB 350 or HB 2050 addresses that, but I know that that's going to be something that will be in play because we had uh, a big issue here in Pennsylvania where Harvest by setting up subsidiary companies acquired too many licenses and that led to litigation and concerns about monopoly and so on and so forth. So, you know, I'm quite sure that the voices that will come to the table once we have this, uh, that if we can get this moving forward in our legislature, will be speaking to that because we don't want to see small Pennsylvania businesses, small Pennsylvania entrepreneurs just completely cut out of this like we did see with the medical program. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, is this uh, going to be a competitive state? Is Pennsylvania cannabis applications going to be scored? Yes, that uh, our, our medical applications were scored. Um, there were you know multiple scoring criteria, um, you know, very similar to what Illinois did, very mm -hmm. similar to Massachusetts, to other states. You know, a wide variety of scoring criteria. You know, uh, all the way from your, your diversity plan, community engagement, security plan. Um, you know, your growing and uh, and nutrient plan. Um, your uh, yeah, diversion mm -hmm. prevention, the whole nine yards. Uh, the problem I think that we had with uh, our medical program is that we put people in there that really didn't know a whole heck of a lot about scoring it. And we had some very widely disparate scores, like very similar entities with the exact same applications. One did very well. One did very poorly. It's like, what's the difference between these applications yeah. and the subjectivity of the person scoring them? So yeah. hopefully we'll be able to learn from that. And, you know, basically do the exact same thing. And I think that that's how we're going to move forward unless we have a situation where there are unlimited number of licenses. And then, hey, you know, just show us that, you know, you, you can comply with the regulatory aspects of Pennsylvania law and here's your license. Uh, so we'll have to see how that plays out. If we've got a limited number of licenses like HB 2050, then mm -hmm. scoring is going to be, you know, all that more important. If it's, you know, caveat emptor. Put your money in it. If you succeed, you know, good for you. Then it might not be uh, necessary. Hmm. That's fascinating. Illinois is actually trying to fix some of their problems that they have with that because the scoring often leads to a lot of litigation. And so that litigation looks like it's going to be coming to Illinois most recently. And I was talking to Senator Steens, who uh, is one of the chief 
you know, drafters of the uh, cannabis laws in Illinois. And Article 18 uh, of the new Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act didn't quite get passed. It got passed by the Senate, but not necessarily by the House. So the litigation risk that I thought was going to be really, really limited because of the introduction of uh, a lottery in the case of tied applicants doesn't look like it might be uh, around this this wave. So there could be some great litigation risk that comes when you have these types of subjective, like it's pretty much the same application. This one gets a high score. This one doesn't get a high score. Why not? Okay, let's sue the state. Name them, name them, uh, serve discovery, and let's get to the bottom of this and see if we can settle for a license. You know, we've had some litigation in Pennsylvania as well. Not a lot because of, you know, how few licenses uh, were available. Um, there was uh, some litigation uh, by uh, one license applicant that you know applied and like part of their application was submitted in a timely fashion. Part of it was not submitted in a timely fashion. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, a license that was issued to uh, Agrimed has been revoked by uh, the Department of Health because uh, plants were disappearing from their facility. Nobody could explain what was going on. And you know that license is uh, under litigation right now. Uh, but I don't think that uh, any of the litigation in Pennsylvania right now is going to change any existing license holders whatsoever. So is yeah, your like, legislation in process now or, or have they been on pause for the pandemic? I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Is the legislation in process now or has it been a pause for the pandemic? Well, our legislature is still meeting. They're meeting remotely. But, you know, the interesting thing about Pennsylvania is we have a balanced budget requirement. And because of the pandemic, Pennsylvania is looking at a budget deficit of four to $5 billion. Mm. And unless we get some relief from uh, the federal government, which, you know, we've got a, a blue uh, governor and a red state, uh, I don't know if we're going to get any relief from the federal government. We're going to have to do something. You know, I don't think that anybody in Pennsylvania is prepared to cut four to $5 billion worth of services. And I don't think anyone in Pennsylvania is prepared to impose four to five billion dollars worth of new taxes. So where do we look for new sources of, uh, of revenue? And you know, the uh, cannabis legalization, as uh, explained by our auditor general, could generate up to six hundred million dollars in recurring revenue if we went, quote, full Colorado. Now, that, of course, means, you know, you know, some pretty significant taxes, you know, both excise taxes on the grower and the processors, retail taxes. And the concern is, do we, you know, have taxes that are so high that the uh, legal uh, system or the legal industry simply doesn't, you know, move forward, doesn't take off. Um, but the potential is there. Uh, add to that $600 million in annual recurring revenue is what I call the savings from cops, courts, and corrections. Don't forget don't forget to also back uh, add back in. It's just not that tax revenue and that general revenue. First off, there's also sales tax, and then there's usually a true up on top of it. But don't forget the tens of thousands of jobs exactly. that are created. And Seriously. so those jobs create even more of a benefit to it. And so those types of things are so important when addressing, uh, because if you just look at it like from your budget uh, on your government, it might be like, oh, it's 1%. It's half a percent. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not half a percent. It's not one. It's, it's one or half percent right there on that bottom line every freaking year. And that's not, that's not, that's just a small fraction of the story. You're not seeing the full picture of the sales tax at the retail level, at the local level. And then you're not seeing the income tax that's getting paid because these people have real jobs and yeah. you're creating new companies that could grow and could create a, another product in the industry. 
So uh, speaking about the tax issues for Pennsylvania cannabis legalization, what are the tax structures that are being thrown about for uh, taxing uh, legal Pennsylvania cannabis? Yeah, uh, I wish I had the infographic in front of me right now because the Auditor General laid it out, but it was essentially an excise tax at the, the, the grower processor level, uh, an excise tax for the dispensary, and then a, a retail tax placed on retail sales. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the number that he came up with was something like a 37% total taxes, but some of those were, you know, the same type of uh, business taxes that any other, you know, entity would pay. And that's where he came up with uh, uh, an estimate of, I think, specifically $581 million in recurring revenue. Man. And, you know, the jobs thing is something that, you know, we can look at our medical program and say, you know, we're going to be cre creating tens of thousands of jobs because even with our limited medical program, we've got 80 dispensaries online. Each one of those dispensaries probably employ at least 20 people. We've got 24 uh, cultivation processing facilities that have been approved. 22 of them are generating product right now. Their total uh, employee is probably between 50 and 80 employees. Mm. So we can look at our very limited medical system and say, hey, we've got three to 4,000 very good uh, high paying jobs with benefits, uh, uh, with you know incentives, with retirement, with stock options. Yeah, they're good jobs. Yeah, yeah these are good jobs. Little and wages. Uh, $15 an hour uh, for, you know, a wellness advisor, a.k.a. butt tender. With and benefits. For Pennsylvania, yeah, with benefits. That's pretty damn good. Nice. Now, you're buying into those benefits, uh, you know, at least with my wife's company, Cresco. You know, you know we're paying for the, uh, for the benefits. It's not 100% free, but these are good paying jobs. People yeah. are happy to have them. Uh, benefits are available. Retirement is available. You know, expand that to a full adult use uh, scenario in Pennsylvania. And I see us creating 50,000, maybe 100,000 jobs throughout the entire, you know, uh, entire industry, you know, growing, processing, retail sales, and all the ancillary uh, businesses that will support that. Well, and have they brought up too, your neighbors are, uh, uh, you know, going recreational, you know, Jersey's trying to get around it, uh, Delaware, uh, you're not far from Canada, you know, there's gonna be that, and also the Northeast uh, governors met talking mm -hmm. about some sort of commerce. So you guys don't want to be behind the bar when that billion dollar door opens up. No, we most certainly do not. And we've already seen that with uh, gambling in Pennsylvania. You know, uh, uh, gambling was a big, big deal. You know, people fought tooth and nail. Uh, you know, it's a vice, it's bad, it's evil, it's that, it's that. And then they saw all the revenue going to West Virginia, all the revenue going to Ohio, all the revenue going to Atlantic City, New Jersey. And then finally, that won the day, and now we have legal gambling in Pennsylvania, which generates a tremendous amount of money. But we also understand from gambling that unless we are very specific with the revenue that we are bringing in, it can just disappear into the general fund and not uh, benefit you know, you know, communities that have been disproportionately affected by, uh, by the war on drugs, by the war on cannabis, and so on and so forth. So are there any social equity aspects of these proposed legislations to legalize cannabis in Pennsylvania? Yes. Uh, automatic expungement for uh, any cannabis convictions uh, that would be legal under the bill. 
Um, if you were convicted of having a 300 plant grow, you might not qualify for that automatic expungement. But, you know, someone who's growing a few plants, someone who, you know, may have just, uh, you know, hustled a, a very small amount of cannabis, you know, those types of things. And of course, any cannabis related uh, misdemeanor convictions will you know, be automatically expunged under our bill. Do those count as points? Do they have something like a social equity applicant that's contemplated under the new uh, proposed Pennsylvania cannabis law? It hasn't gotten that far yet, but I would say that that's something that would be included in both a community outreach plan and a diverse, diversity goals, which were some of the components required for our medical law. You know, I am quite sure that if I'm you know, uh, advising a client or if I'm part of an application team and we know that restorative justice is out there, we're going to make sure that that's in the application that, you know, one of the things that our community outreach uh, uh, goal is going to be is to make sure that, you know, our uh, that we can maximize uh, the ability to get people to understand that they have these automatic expungement provisions that are available to them. Nice. That's fantastic. Well, what medical what, is, what are the qualifying conditions for medical? Uh, we have 23 qualifying conditions. Uh, uh, chronic pain, of course, is you know the big one. I would say about 50% of our uh, medical patients uh, are uh, uh, chronic pain. Then the next two big ones are uh, are only two uh, mental health diagnoses: PTSD, which was a uh, uh, part of the original bill, and then anxiety uh, was recently added. Hmm. Uh, moving past that, Crohn's, uh, seizure disorder, severe epilepsy, cancer cancer in remission, autism, uh, where I think we're the first state that had a list of qualifying conditions to include autism, uh, sickle cell anemia, Huntington's wow. disease, Tourette's. Um, mm. Probably glaucoma, right? Yeah, yeah, glaucoma. Um, I'm missing some of the other big ones, but you get the... It's, yeah. a, it's, it's a big uh, list. And so from that, how many patients are in Pennsylvania? We have over 250,000 registered patients right now. Wow. And, you know, the, the patient registry, you know, started in late 2017. We, we have a physician recommendation uh, requirement. Physicians have to be registered with the program and they have to recommend or certify patients. And we were very concerned, at least initially, that that would provide, that would amount to a bottleneck that we wouldn't have enough physicians participating, that patients wouldn't be able to get to these physicians. And it's that's proven not to be the case. We have had very robust uh, patient enrollment in the program. Um, the problems that we have is, you know, a lot of patients, you know, have issues with the high price of uh, medical cannabis. Uh, our employee protections for patients are wishy-washy to say the best because we don't have a private cause of action within the statute. Um, and Pennsylvania is a state that has a lot of veterans and a lot of sportsmen. And when patients learn that they, their Second Amendment rights may be in jeopardy because it remains Schedule One federally, a lot of patients will give up their cards because they don't want to lose their Second Amendment rights. Yeah. Um, so these are, you know, these are issues that are confronting our patient community now that we're starting to move into a more mature uh, marketplace. Nice. Fantastic, man. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, where can we go to find or follow you if we have any more questions about Pennsylvania? Uh, CannabisLegalSolutions.com. Uh, that is my, oh no, .net. Jeez, I'm an idiot. CannabisLegalSolutions.net. Uh, PatrickNightingale.com. 
my personal email address if anyone has questions about uh, Pennsylvania's medical program or how to you know, potentially get involved with uh, advocating for full legalization here. My email is pknlaw at mac.com. And also, I'd like to uh, direct everybody to both pittsburghnormal.org and, of course, normal.org, uh, uh, the nation's uh, longest uh, uh, marijuana legalization advocacy group, of which I'm a proud member. Thanks. Me too. I'm on the NLC. Uh, and then anybody who uh, emails me at Tom at collateralbase.com for this, this episode, uh, I will send you a book. So please do send me an email at Tom at collateralbase.com. Say, hey, I want a book and give me your address and I'll mail it out to you. Hey, guys, thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure to spend that Sunday afternoon with you. Thank you so Thanks, much Patrick. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We will see you on Wednesday. No, take care.